When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. City of Chronicles is a Bay of Chronicles production. to the Seria Chronicles podcast with me, Mina Rizuki. And of course, I'm joined by Nikki Bandini, as always, as we try to run through a very dramatic weekend of Seria action, culminating in the Derby d'Italia at the very end. Not sure it was necessarily the most exciting, but always, always the most controversial. <laughs> um, I was having a little bit of a laugh because we were reading some of the comments that we will get to and we will chat about during the show. And just before I started this, I just had Nikki going, it's COVID, Mina. It's COVID, Mina. <laughs> <laughs> I keep going, COVID, COVID, COVID. I know people have been getting sick recently with, with COVID. Thankfully, no one uh, too um, badly. But you've got to laugh sometimes this last year and a half. Otherwise, we'd be having a miserable time, wouldn't we? COVID. COVID covered. Yeah. Otherwise, we'd all be married to a Sari. Sari had uh, another <laughs> horrible week. Yes, I wanted to ask you something, because obviously we're going to start talking about, firstly, how nice, Nikki, to be listening to you in your new home where there are no sirens. And for some reason, Ross isn't really barking as much as he used to when we used to do the older podcasts. I'm definitely working on some things. There's definitely some things here that don't work as well, because um, we have a shared front door. So when the front door goes for the main front door of the building, he, he can hear that. And, and his instinct is to bark at that. But for the last, like, um, God, how long have I been here now? Two and a half weeks? I've basically had, this is feels so ridiculous. I've had like at all times, I've had like a plate of chicken next to me. Whenever there's a sound that I think is going to make him bark, I immediately like put chicken in his face. So the idea is that whenever he hears these sounds, instead of wanting to bark, he looks at me for chicken. And it's not perfect, but actually it's, I think it's working a little bit. Like I think it's, it's actually like retraining his brain a little bit to, to not always bark. He's always going to bark. He's a dog and he's a dachshund. But is that, is that safe at night when you need him to bark if there's a noise? And now he's just going to be looking for chicken in your kitchen? I mean, it's a fair point. If I overtrain him, maybe he'll stop doing his job as a ferocious guard of the property. I'm sure listeners will still hear him at some point, unless producer Simon is is on top of editing him out of everything. <laughs> Poor producer Simon, he's got so much work to do. Quindi viene espulso Simone Inzaghi, espulso Simone Inzaghi, e adesso tutto pronto. Di Bala contro Andanovic, parte Di Bala al tiro rete. Il pareggio della Juventus alla 43esimo minuto. Calcio di rigore di Paolo Di Bala che spiazza Andanovic. Inter 1, Juventus 1. Quando non te l'aspetti c'è molta polemica sulla panchina dell'Inter. Questo è un episodio che farà molto discutere. Mariani aveva diretto. Let's talk about the football now. Started with the Derby d'Italia, and I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you if Antonio Conte is watching this. Yes. In his home, who's he supporting? 
Who's he? Oh, Inter Juventus. Oh, that's a great question. As soon as you said Conte, I thought well, he's watching the Manchester United match and rubbing his hands with anticipation at the payday. But I think a lot of us think he's about to get. Um, who's he supporting between Inter and Juventus? I, I imagine Juventus. I spent a, a full career there. He uh, was a player, obviously, before he became a manager there. After everything that happened with Agnelli last year. I think he might just be cheering against both of them, actually, when I think about it. Because I also think with Juventus, he's petty enough that he doesn't want Allegri to do better. And Allegri's kind of already done better. Yeah. And I think he's he's never quite forgiven the fact that someone else came in and did better in Europe than he did after he said it was impossible. Um, so I imagine if he's watching at all, he's he's a bit sort of jaded about the whole experience. But I might be doing him a disservice you know, people's public personas are not always the, the full detail of their personality, but certainly publicly, he can come across as someone whose greatest interest is in his own narrative, which I think goes for lots of top managers, by the way, not just not just Kante. So, but Mina, tell me, tell me truthfully. Um, okay. I'm sorry to always do this to you and, and tell me if it gets annoying, but I'm always curious in, in situations like this. For anyone who missed it, was under a rock, Inter and Juventus drew 1-1 and the match ended with a, a penalty in the um, 89th minute that was awarded on a VAR decision to Juventus. Of course, a lot of people look at that and go, here we go again. It's Juventus. It's the 89th minute. It's a penalty. How did you feel about that penalty that was given for the uh, foul by Denzel Dumfries? And, and how did you feel about Juventus getting the point that way? I obviously, I, I'm starting to get a little bit fed up about the whole, oh, here we go again with Juventus. Mm -hmm. I think largely because I totally understand when fans want to do these types of things and they have every right to. Um, it sort of annoys me when, you know, broadcasters or important newspapers stir the pot even more. Because I think you should, you have a different type of responsibility when you are, you know, when you are a journalist or when you are somebody covering the games. And so I find that a little bit disappointing when there's a lot of chat about that. For example, um, today Gazetta went into the fact that there was a penal another penalty and it's not too dissimilar to the 3-2 scoreline that Juventus won against Inter last year. And yet what was failed, uh, what wasn't mentioned was the fact that Juventus played in 10 men for 40 minutes that Gazetta at the time had said was too harsh of a, of a booking for Bentancourt. Uh, they also didn't mention that, you know, Lukaku scored a penalty that wasn't a penalty. Yes, Cuadrado's penalty was certainly not a penalty. But you have to provide context, and that is your responsibility if you are somebody who is trying to explain this to the fans. And so I do get a little bit fed up because we are trying to move away from all these conspiracy theories, and they are being stirred by the very people that should know better. But as a fan... If I'm watching this, I'm thinking to myself, if I was into fan, I'd be really gutted. Because honestly speaking, I know that Dumfries is clumsy. And I know by the very, very letter of the law, you can, I, you can maybe say that is a penalty. But for me, it's far too harsh. I didn't understand it. And I would have been very upset. So I can totally understand Simone Inzaghi's reaction. Um, although there is... For me, Simone Zanzaghi is like the kind of man that you sort of find on a dating app who like looks at you. <laughs> sounds so crazy, but he's like this like really lovely. I want to know this is guy. I feel like he's just like this kind of like really lovely guy who just wants to find love and like run across the beach. And I don't know why I have this impression of him. So when I see him get so angry, I'm always a little bit like mystified by it, you know, because he really does get angry. We've all come across people like that, though, as well, 
who, you know, give it the loveliness uh, 90% of the time, but then when they lose their temper, it's, it's, it's epic. But overall, I, I just kind of also thought there is a point where you have to say, I mean, honestly, Allegri played this game pretty badly. And actually, I felt for Simone Zaghi, and I do think that he had to take Perisic off. So I do understand. I mean, I know it's Dumfries. I'm not sure that I agree with the Sanchez coming on. But um, I do sort of understand that substitution. So I don't want to go too hardcore on him. And I, if anything, I think Allegri played it wrong to not play Dybala and Keza for a little bit longer than that. But my issue with all of this is that you have to, as Inter, also take responsibility for falling so deep and perhaps not trying to get a second goal that closes this game. I know you're working on preventative marking, marking and you did a very good job defensively, but mistakes can always happen and you haven't kept a clean sheet in a very, very long time. So perhaps after the emotional run against Lazio, try to keep things just, you know, as well as possible. And you dominated Juventus. You should have taken your chances. Yeah, I, I think just to, to to sort of say my 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 feeling on the penalty, yeah, I think it's it's a lot in line with yours. I'll say to defend the journalist because I also had to write a column this morning. When it comes to the context, when it comes to providing context of what's happened before with the events and, and Inter, like if you want to give full context, you would need every column to be ten thousand words because it's always well there was the game last year, but actually what about when there was Juliano and Ronaldo? Oh, but what about Calciopoli? What about and you can go on with that story forever. Like, so it becomes like a point where you go, right, how much am I going to say about the past when I'm trying to actually write about what's happening right now? But I, I basically agree with your, with your take on this penalty. It is a penalty. It's a horrible, horrible penalty mm. because it's as far as you can be to the edge of the area while still being in the area. It is over the line. Yeah. It's a penalty on a challenge that does not affect the play at all. The ball is already gone and Inter clear it. So it's a foul that didn't change anything, but it is a foul. And when you see the replay, you look at it and you go, it's a penalty. I I hate that it's a penalty, but I also don't see a way that you can change the rules to make that not a penalty. If you kick someone in the area, you kick them in the area. And it's it's a, a real shame for Dumfries. And I, I'm a little bit like low-key worried about Dumfries. I think he had this sort of sparkling start and everyone was like, oh, new and shiny. And I think since <laughs> then he's, he's not been that good. And I think that when it comes to criticizing Inzaghi, I know why he did it. Perisic is on a yellow card and he's trying just to keep, make sure he's on 10 men to the end of the game. But I thought Perisic was playing really well. And to take Perisic off, you then have to flip your fullback. So Damian goes to the other side and to bring on the fullback who... I'm not sure he's done that well defensively. You don't expect to get punished in this mm. way, this, this hard. I agreed with what Inzaghi said at the end, that um, that was the only way Juventus were going to score. I didn't feel like Juventus had really threatened to score. But sometimes that's that's how it goes. And, and actually, if I'm being honest, the way he talked about it afterwards, I think even he, without saying it explicitly, was sort of acknowledging that his anger you know, it's not necessarily even saying it's an injustice. It's just angry because the situation has gone so horribly. Yeah, on the on the topic of Perisic, I mean, he said that he was on the massage table at halftime. So maybe he put that in his head as well when he was thinking of, okay, got a yellow card. Apparently he takes off anyone who gets a yellow card except for Barella. Generally he seems to, yeah. So it seems like he really trusts Barella to manage to avoid red and doesn't seem to trust anyone else to do it. Or he just doesn't think he could do without him. Frankly speaking, Perisic has been amazing. Yeah. 
I mean, he, he's like, I really do want to give this man his props. I mean, he went to Bayern Munich, won a trouble, came back to Inter when he wasn't wanted in the first season under Antonio Conte, was phenomenal last season, is phenomenal this season, is really the man who makes such a difference. But I can't also say, and, and I do, uh, listen, for me, I think this should have been an, an, an Inter 1-0 victory. But I won't say it's a great 1-0 victory because in many ways, if you look at it, I mean, they shouldn't have fallen so deep either. Statistics suggest that even in terms of possession, Juventus had slightly more, better passing accuracy, better dribbles, better in the air. There were question marks on why Kulusevsky was chosen to be on top of Brozovic. Um, I didn't understand that because it's just kind of like, why are we tasking him with so many tactical instructions when he's a player that works best when he has freedom? I don't know why I felt like Kulusevsky is always sort of a sacrificial lamb and not being given the type of freedom that I think he warrants. Or, or needs to have in order to express the very best of himself. But I think for me, like right now, you know, when you look at Dzeko, when you look at Inter, yes, they should have perhaps won this. But there are question marks about falling too deep, about sometimes losing their heads, not them on this occasion, but maybe in Zaghi. So I don't know what to make of this team because they are now seven points behind Milan and they're seven points behind you know Milan and Napoli. Um, do you think that this is just just you know just a wobble that is Lazio and Juventus? They did very well in the Champions League. Dzeko is amazing. But then there's Lautaro Martinez that's not doing so great and Dumfries. How do you think they're gonna grow? I, I didn't like either manager's decisions in a lot of this game, to be honest with you. I I, I didn't like um the passivity of, of Juventus in that first, but I know that's been their their, their mold recently to get the one nils. But um, I felt like, especially when Bernadeschi come gets injured at the start, and it's like, okay, what's well, on Ben Tanker? And you're looking at that bench and thinking, really, like you still don't think you need Chiesa yet in this game? And obviously, <laughs> obviously uh, for Allegri there was an, an impact sub idea in his head, but I didn't like. It. I thought it was too passive. But I agree with you that Inter didn't do anything that special. Their goal came from a deflected Chalanoglu shot from outside the area that, that Dzeko was very smart about. I don't feel like Inter are trending in a great direction, if I'm being honest. Uh, and I I feel like right from the start, we've had this sort of situation, which we've talked about in the podcast, of a manager who's coming in who plays not at all identical, but in a big picture, Broadway, similar style of football to Conte. He plays a back three. He he plays a, a, a fast strike. Um, not counter-attacking, but um, quick, quick break style of football. And and so it's hard to pick out like what's Inzaghi and what's Conte in the team. And it's 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 a process, right? But I, I feel like the more time has gone on, the less convinced I've been by Inter, which is not a good sign. You'd want to be more convinced as time has gone on, but instead I've become less convinced. That said, look, if Dumfries doesn't do that, they take three points here and we're having a different conversation. So there's still a long way to go. I think part of the the, the situation there and, and the pressure is just the fact that we've got two teams at the top of the table who are motoring right now, who are really um, firing ahead and, and starting to open up that gap. So it starts to feel a bit more pressure than it probably would otherwise. I, I was I was so excited for for Sunday night because we had two really really big games on on paper. We had uh, the Derby Italia, and right before that, we had Roma against Napoli. And for me, as a spectacle, the, both games were a little bit disappointing. I, I didn't have that sort of um, thrill that I was expecting from the football itself. It was really cool uh, to see uh, 
the Debbie Italia at San Siro, not yet allowed to be full capacity, but 56,000 fans or so, it felt like that game again, right? Which it hadn't done during the pandemic when you have to play in an empty stadium. So that was cool. The football for me didn't, didn't quite live up to it. And I think for that reason, Mina, rather than talking about Roma Napoli next, we should talk about a, a less obvious game, but a game that was uh, brilliant, which was Verona thrashing Lazio 4-1. Tentativo di lancio Simeone, il tiro di Simeone, il gol del 3-0, tripletta di Simeone, Verona 3, Lazio 1, il controllo con il destro, ha lasciato sfilare saggiamente il pallone, il quarto gol poker del Verona firmato di testa da Simeone, classificazione di contropiede e partita che possiamo definire a questo punto chiusa qui, si gioca il secondo dei, qu- dei 5 minuti di recupero e la sm- I'll be honest with you, I'm always somebody who's going to enjoy the coaching more than I enjoy the performances of the player, but he's fan, like, oh my God, he was fantastic. It was almost like, you know what he's like? He's either like London buses or the Pringles, you know? It's like once he starts, it just doesn't stop, you know? It's just nonstop, this side, that side. He was just on fire and there was just... There was so much that I thought was interesting about this because every single sort of broadcaster, media outlet, commentator of this match chose a different angle. And, and somebody, you know, people were talking about Igor Tudor and the type of football he's playing. Others are talking about Giovanni Simeone and him dying to make it a difference. Um, and there was others who said, you know, well done to the sporting director of Verona who, who took Caprari and Simeone when no one else wanted them in the summer, you know. And it was a bet that paid off, but it was very much a one-man show. Um, he's done this before. When he starts, he really goes for it. So uh, I think he did it when he was at Florence, but this was absolutely phenomenal. But I am a little bit, if I'm the one who is writing a, a, a piece about this, I would say to you that this is very much Igor Tudor, his wonderful ability to just play a low center of gravity, close the spaces, provide so much balance and just ruin, ruin Sadi's football. And I think he had the perfect poison and the most devoted man up front. And I do think Kapali was also magnificent in this um, to, to just destroy a team that I have no idea who Lazio are at the moment. You must have really enjoyed Simeone though. I, I do. I, I'm enjoying your Pringles analogy. London buses I've, I've heard before, but now I'm just thinking who's been sprinkling Giovanni Simeone with, with football MSG? Cause, cause that's the secret, right? I mean, I don't know if that's actually true. I, I, I might be, I might be, uh, spreading terrible information about Pringles, but it's true. When you open a can of Pringles, you're in trouble, right? Like you're going to eat the whole thing. And, uh, Simeone is, is your right. Like he's definitely feast or famine. This was extraordinary as a sort of moment because of course his dad played for Lazio helped Lazio win a league and and he said it himself this is a club uh, Giovanni Simeone this is a club that he has always revered Lazio Lazio was the club that he grew up thinking oh it's Lazio you know they're like the super club in his head um and so to to smash four goals past them and I don't know I it could be that that we don't hear from him again for the next two months but I I definitely think he's one of those players who is in a an opportunity and, and a moment in his career where he might just be about to take a step forward. I think when you listen to him talk about his career, he said himself that he feels like he didn't necessarily, and this will surprise people because of course he's Simeone, uh, 
uh, Diego Simeone's son. He didn't necessarily put everything that he could have done into things before, but this summer he was in the gym, even on his honeymoon in the Maldives. And he was talking about how he's lucky that his, his, um, his wife is as keen on the gym as he is, um, which brought me into mind of a wonderful Javier Zanetti story. I would have punched him, but sure. You would have what? I would have totally punched him. If I'm on honeymoon, the guy's in the gym. <laughs> punched him if he was my husband. I don't want to be working out. <laughs> it's my honeymoon. But maybe you do, just not that kind of working out. It's a honeymoon. Um, <laughs> oh, it's naughty, naughty. <laughs> Mike's got that. Um, I, uh, I, Don't cut this out, producers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying it's a honeymoon, okay? There's more than one way to have a workout. Absolutely. I, it put me in mind of, do you remember, because Javier Zanetti, like, of course, is like the iconic work hard footballer in all of Serie A history, I think, certainly like in my head. And I remember like him and his autobiography, he talked about like on his wedding day, he brought a pair of trainers, he snuck a pair of trainers with him. And then like between the service and the, uh, and the um, reception, he was like, is it all right if I go for a run? And, um, but the even better story was that there was a time when He'd gone on summer holiday with his um, wife and she um, had booked the hotel and she hadn't checked about a gym and it didn't. And so what he did was he went and um, got up one morning and went down to uh, the kitchen and like, got a bunch of books and asked the, sh- the chef in the kitchen if uh, he could weigh these books and stuff and bundled them all up. And then in the afternoon when he was on the beach, he asked his wife if she could put on a backpack with all the books in because he knew how much she weighed and he'd weighed it all. And he was doing his squats on the beach with his with his wife as his workout, literally on his back. And me looks so concerned at this point. Would you not have participated I, I, in your loved one's career? Would you not have done that for them? Mina would not. <laughs> Poor Giovanni Simeone is just like, you know, on his honeymoon training in every sense of the word, you know, at nighttime, in the daytime, everything you can imagine. But we've got a we've got a tiny bit off piece. Yeah. We've got a tiny bit off piece. But I do think I do think it's a really interesting opportunity for him at Verona as well. So look, I I, I said that stuff, and I, I know it sort of sounds like it's just sort of fluff, and that sometimes it is, right? But I do think that you see lots of footballers who have different moments in their career when they they make a shift in their attitude and it changes things. I think we saw it with Gonzalo Higuain, and we saw it even frankly last season with Lukaku. Inter lost some weight, yeah, played better, and. These things are, these things do happen. He only said it about Keza. Yeah. And now he's got an opportunity under a manager who, as you say, is, is a great manager. He's got a slightly interesting situation there because they've also got Kalinic for that number nine position. And so far they've been alternating this season, but who knows, maybe they could play together at some point. They're very different in style. But I, I want to keep an eye on Simeone. I don't think this is necessarily going to be a one-off. No, you're right. Listen, and he also said, I really love like the players around me. Like, I feel like they get the best out of him. And he was talking about that. I mean, we're talking about a player who's now scored six goals and three assists. Caprari's got three goals and four assists. So clearly something's, you know, something's working for them. And Igor Tudor is just having a fantastic time. Meanwhile, and I, and I know that you will really enjoy this because <laughs> you have called him insecure before, but um, <laughs> Apparently, according to um, a certain newspaper in Messaggero, that um, basically they said Sadi had apparently asked his players after the loss to Bologna, that humiliation, um, whether or not they were trying to get him sacked. 
And he kept them in the room for an hour and a half after the end of this match, trying to figure out why they're doing this to him. He's taking this all very personally from the sounds of things. And I'm just asking you, is this his tactics? Is the team not working for him? Is it their physical condition? Because they seem to do very badly after they participate in midweek action. What do you think is going on there? Or is this just sadly football where sometimes it's good and sometimes it's just really poor? I, yeah, I don't know. I, the insecure thing, I mean, that's just my impression. But I, I think about what happened at Chelsea where he's getting overridden when he's attempting to make a substitution and other stories like this from the changing room, frankly. He's always seems to have these stories told yeah. about him, sadly, where he doesn't seem, in some ways it almost makes sense, right? Like he has such a different background coming into football that I can absolutely imagine how in that changing room, even though you're the manager, you can end up feeling like the outsider. Now you can also be Jose Mourinho and say, my personality is the biggest in the room and all of you are secondary to me in my sort of narrative of, of everything. But I think if you're not like that, it actually seems quite easy for me to imagine how you could be in a changing room with all these sort of people who've been in professional football and feel like, oh, maybe they don't actually respect me. Maybe they aren't listening to me. Maybe they don't. Um, but it, it's slightly conjecture, but this story certainly does not smack of a, a manager who's in charge of the situation, does it? Like a manager who's who's in a good spot does not walk into their changing room and, and and ask their players why they aren't listening to him and why why they don't respect him. And I, I, you know, he's he's like we'll get on to 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 Mourinho at Roma, but he's having almost exactly the opposite experience to Mourinho at Roma, where he can win the big games and he can't win the rest of the games. And in the long run, I don't think either of those is is going to be good enough. So. You have to you have to get better if you're sadly at, at winning all of these games and, and losing four wise. It's never good, even against a team that, as we've just said, we think is going to be upwardly mobile under Tudor. My only worry for him, honestly speaking, is that firstly, there's obviously something going on between him, Luis Alberto, um, who just for our listeners um, who liked something on social media that basically condemned Sally and not playing him and Milinkovic Savage together because he, Sally had said that he doesn't think him, uh, Luis Alberto and SMS can play together. That was written on social media to say, how is it possible that great players can't play together? And Alberto liked that post. There's been lots of talk about them two falling out. Um, we know that Alberto wanted to leave over the summer not necessarily for those reasons, just that he wanted a new experience as well. And then there's just been other things. I look at this team, I feel like physically they're not what they were, uh, uh, like a, a robust, tackling, tough, solid team that they were under if, under uh, Simeone and Zaghi. There could be a bunch of reasons for this. They are trying to be more um, capable with the ball, but I do worry if this is the right choice. And now they've been put into, what do you call it, a retreat, Nikki? It's yeah, it's like it's it's a very classically Italian thing to do to go into Lidido and like have it's like a, a sort of mid season training camp where instead of going home to your family at the end of the day, you get you have to stay together. I would call it a retreat, but not like a fun retreat. Well, just to leave that there and hope uh, Sally figures it all out. Just take a little interlude here, Mina, to say thank you to our lovely, lovely uh, supporters on. Twitter and supporters who have dropped in to make a financial contribution to the show. Um, you're all massively appreciated whether you're making a contribution or not. And um, by the way, frankly, we just like having you here, but um, 
very kind of you to contribute where you can. Got a tweet from B Hamilton on Twitter listening to how they address the first question in this week's Chronicles Q&A. Chronicles Q&A episodes come in between these main episodes, by the way. So she says, listening to how they address the first question in this week's Chronicles Q&A, Ray banning racist fans from the stadium just confirms that Serie A Chronicles is one of the best out there, intelligent, considered and articulate top tier podcast. That's so lovely, V. Thank you so much. That is very lovely. Um, I want to read one that made me laugh. <laughs> because I feel like there's a connection there. This is from Frank Italo Ossi. I was so excited to see you join forces in launching your very own Serie A podcast. Loving the show, your collective footballing minds and analysis and the humor, COVID. <laughs> COVID. <laughs> Nikki, I'm COVID. never going to let this down. <laughs> she says COVID, COVID I swear. <laughs> Big props from Sydney, Australia. Ah, I love, I love international fans. Actually, I love fans from everywhere. So thank you so much. And there's a few more here. We've got Guzzo says, enjoy the pod and in bocca lupo, to which I can only say crepe. Crepe lupo. But thank you. And also want to read one out from Frank. Loving the pod so far. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Frank. And I swear to you, a limerick will come at some point. I just get sent these really late, so I don't have time to do them. Um, but I swear to you, I swear to you, they will come at one point. And now I have a few, so I'm already going to start one this evening. But remember, you can make a one-off contribution via seriachronicles.com forward slash supporter. Serie Chronicles is also looking for our own sponsors to ensure the show's success. So if you have or are a business that is looking to reach Audiences in the UK, United States, Australia, Ireland, and beyond, wherever really, send an email to the Media Chronicles team, marketing at mediachronicles.com.au. move on and uh, Nikki you mentioned basically that there is an opposite experience between Maurizio Sari and obviously what's going with Jose Mourinho and Roma now I'm gonna I'm not gonna lie to you I decided to watch this game despite the fact that there were some rather tasty selections from different leagues going on at the same time and I kind of regretted it because <laughs> I was like this is so drab um ended nil nil Napoli obviously have now stopped winning but what did you think about all of this? Are you disappointed a little bit that it ended in nil-nil? Did you think somebody should have won this? Or did you think that was a very fair scoreline considering what we saw? No, I think I think the scoreline reflected the game. I felt like if anyone was going to win it, it would probably be Napoli, but only because I thought Victor Osman might do something at some point, which actually he did at the end of the game when it got disallowed. Um, I... <laughs> I I don't even know what to say about this game, Mina. I, I found it a real disappointment. Um, perhaps it's the sort of game that um, we have seen from Mourinho's teams in certain big matches before. Uh, perhaps it's a game that Mourinho felt like his team needed to deliver after getting absolutely trounced in, in the Euro, uh, Europa Conference League by Bodo Glimt, 6-1, an astonishing uh, result in the Europa Conference League. And Mourinho sort of coming off the back of that game by basically throwing everyone outside of his, not quite his first 11, I think he said 12 or 13 players, but basically everyone outside of that under the bus 
even though some of those players were on in the second half of that Bodo Glimt game. I felt like it was a just uninspiring game from both teams. And, and in, you know, to be fair to Napoli, drawing nil-nil away from home after eight consecutive wins against Roma, it's not a bad result. So from their point of view, they might have just come here and thought, well, if they're not going to show any ambition, we can play this game and we can wait and see if we can get a goal through our brilliant centre forward who quite often makes something happen. But I um, I, I, I don't know what to say about the game so much almost. I think that the, the conversation here for me is about Mourinho and his already in October being at this point where he's throwing half his squad under the bus. Are you shocked by this or not? I'm not shocked. I think it was a question of how long it might take for it to happen. I'm slightly surprised it's happened this quickly. Yeah, I think what... Here's the thing about Mourinho. Um, We'll move on to Spalletti in a bit, but I think what upsets me about this is... I like that all the players seem to like him and that apparently he's changed the mentality. And I, and I did, I was almost a Roma fan in the beginning because I was so excited by some of the performances. I love the match against Fiorentina as an example. And there was just so much fire and entertainment from the side that just didn't look so soft to me. Um, there's just been this nonstop conversation about Roma not winning the big matches. And now I just feel like, there's now this hoodoo that's hanging over them. But it doesn't really matter. Just try to do the best you can and just forget about these big matches, you know? And and I wonder whether that's something that's playing into them. But I think what's upsetting me is that sometimes people didn't appreciate Paolo Fonseca and everything that he had done. And I just feel like the development of some of these players, including Darbo at the end, and, and when you look at the way that they were so tactically flexible, the different types of games that they played, yes, they were soft. Yes, they didn't bully you or played with any type of warrior mentality but I just feel like there were just some matches you know when he did play for example um Villa or Borja Mayoral and Borja was in spectacular form and so is so is honestly Villar you know I mean I just remember against um Inter they got a 2-2 and he chose Villar instead of Cristande and it was important because you just felt like you know, there was a beautiful ability to possess the ball or play different types of games, you know, and, and, and he just rotated and it just seemed like they had an identity, but he could play whoever and use the full squad in a way that Jose Mourinho is not doing it. And he's blaming them, despite the fact that he chose to play a bunch of players who barely had any minutes in their legs all together in a Euro Europa League game. That's not it. OK, they're a team that's not a spectacular, but it is a journey. It is the Europa League. It is a team that you have very it's, little knowledge it's about. It's not even the Europa League, Mina. It's, it's the Europa Conference League. Sorry, it's the Conference League. I'm so sorry. You're right. Absolutely. And, and then you shove them all together. Obviously, they're not going to do well because there's no chemistry, tactical understanding, nothing. Uh, they haven't played in ages either. And it's clear that you don't rate them. And then say, oh, well, you know, now you're going to sit in the stands. And I, it kind of upset me because I just feel like this is where Fonseca was so underrated. His ability to nurture this talent, his ability to bring out the best in Borja Mayora that had a lot of people at the time saying, is there a need for Dzeko? That was one of the, the headlines at the time. So I, I do feel like um, it was after the, the 3-1 win against Las Verona, I'm trying to remember. When you have these things, it does worry me that... Is Mourinho the right man to build a project or is he the man to come in when the project has already been built and he can take it that extra step forward? 
I mean, I think it's valid to ask at this point, Mina, whether he's either at this point in his career. He certainly has been um, the man to, to take you over the edge in, in the past. And, and I think he has something to prove at this point, having had a couple of disappointing stops in a row at Manchester United and then Tottenham. The, the thing of alienating his own players is is not actually at all new. I think even if you go back to when he was at Inter on the way to the treble, the way that he handled Mario Balotelli, for instance, was very hostile. Um, and and even within that squad, Balotelli became this sort of persona non grata, even though he was playing sometimes. What seems so sort of dangerous about this is, first of all, that Balotelli thing was happening after they'd already won a league title, when they're on the way to a treble, and it's one player. This is, not sorry, not when they'd already won a treble. They were on the way to a treble. They'd already won a title. The um, the situation at Roma is nothing like that. You're trying to build something out of, not nothing, but something new, essentially. You've got a lot of new players there. It's not still talked about that much, I don't feel like. But Mourinho, this 100 million euros odd worth of investment in that squad this summer. And this does not seem to me like how you build a sense of collective team identity, a group that wants to, to work its butt off for you and, and do things. And it's it's such a contrast with Steph, um, with Stefano Pioli at Milan, who of course is top of the table and making this wonderful nurturing atmosphere that I want to get behind. This Mourinho mindset, to me, doesn't feel nice. But look, the proof is in the pudding. If Mourinho does this and goes and gets them into the top four, fair enough. You know, that's what Roma haven't been able to do recently. The issue is when you're doing this and you're not getting good results. And it's funny, like, I, I, you know, I was correcting you on the Europa Conference League there in part actually just because I think it's important to consider the fact that I think Roma really want to win that and they can. That should be a competition that they can win. There's about two or three other teams in that whole competition who should consider themselves even in a bracket with Roma as, as the favourites to be able to win that competition. It's it's Tottenham and, and maybe one or two others. So I can't see a world in which Mourinho doesn't want to win that trophy. And yeah, he got well up to 6-1. It's, it's not good. It's not good. Um, and yeah, then gets himself sent off in this game against, against Napoli with amazingly gets sent off for two yellow cards, which never happens to managers. I love that. <laughs> I don't know. It it's, it feels worryingly like we've reached Mourinho's bad Mourinho way too soon. Like, you know, it's going to come sooner or later, but did you expect it after two months? Not sold. I, I sort of sometimes enjoy some of his defensive tactics, you know, the low center of gravity, the like deprive the, the opponent of every breath that they can possibly take. Um, and Abraham had a great chance to score and, it, and they didn't take it. But I also feel like for Napoli, this was a game that what I liked about it, and here's the thing that's making Napoli for me, or a team I'm starting to like a little bit more, on a psychological level, I feel like they're improving because you felt like Roma were trying to take this into making it more of a battle and a fight on the pitch. And I felt like Napoli were trying really hard not to fall for it. You know, they did get sucked in in the end because I... I not because they became overly emotional, but perhaps didn't get the win. And that's the why I can say that. But I do feel that they are managing their emotions. They are remaining disciplined throughout. And for me, that's credit to Spalletti. I mean, we've seen them under Ancelotti. We've seen them under Gattuso. And they've had these problems. 
And yet now they just look like a side that, you know, don't come for me. I'm just going to continue doing what I can. We've got Osman up front who just never gives up, no matter what you try to do to him. Um, got the ball at the back of the net, like you said. And I just, he really is, frankly, for me, like the best players out there. But I was a little bit upset that Spalletti was booed so heavily. And I just feel like people don't appreciate just how much he did for Roma, how much he did for Italian football. And I'm really happy for him that he's doing so well for Napoli because I feel like more than all the other tacticians, and even when he was at Inter, people were like, oh, well, Conte is such a step up. Well, Conte got different things that Spalletti didn't get. So, and, and I really feel like people need to remember that. You know, he had a horrible dressing room. Marathon just arrived. He couldn't yet clear it out. And it, it was just madness all over the pitch. And he set the foundations to what then became a title-winning team as well. So I do really love him. And, I, and I'm really sad that I know there's obviously something against Totti, but I am a little bit sad that he got booed. Yeah, it's, it's all about Totti, actually, I think. Um, I think their relationship is such a... It is a sad one. It makes me sad because I think even I was talking, wasn't I, about Totti's book uh, the other day and 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 in that book you, you see it in the first chapter where he encounters Spalletti they love each other they get on brilliantly they, he helps them as a footballer a lot and then there's just this sad late chapter where Spalletti has clearly been brought in in part with explicit sort of instruction from ownership that you're going to be the guy who's going to ease this chapter to its conclusion this this Francesco Totti era and I think that there's no manager in the world who could have done that well, if I'm being honest. I think Totti was so unwilling and so unready to walk away from football at that point and to walk away from Roma that any manager who was trying to do that could not have handled it in some some magical way that would have made the player happy. I think it was an impossible task. Now, maybe there are other managers who could have done things in certain situations more sensitively. I think in the book, there's clearly certain particular things that Totti is very bitter about, but I don't think there's anyone who could have done that well. If you, if I'm putting, I'm doing air quotes, which of course no one can see it's a podcast. I, I just don't think that's possible. Um, and it's sad. It is sad. Cause like you said, he was an extraordinary manager for Roma. And I think he's doing great work at Napoli. It's a long way to go, very, very long way to go in this season, but um, he's doing great work so far. And as I said at the top, I think drawing away to Roma, it's a better result for Napoli than it is for Roma, especially in the context of where they are this season. Because for Napoli, that's going to be the first points you drop all season. There's worse ways to drop two points. Yeah, absolutely. You know, for teams that aren't necessarily, well, I mean, they are depending on Osman, but so if Fiorentina, who are depending on Vlaovic, who had yet another phenomenal performance, despite some boos from the Curva. Um, Fiorentina won 3-0 against Cagliari. Walter Mazzari once again showing us the beauty of his game. Uh, <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> but... There was this odd little moment where it seemed like Vlavish didn't want to take the penalty, um, but he did take the free kick and scored a goal at the end. Is he? What's going to happen if he leaves to Fiorentina? Because I do feel like when it comes to them, they are dependent on him, and he has such a lovely relationship with Vincenzo Italiano. Yeah, it was interesting that he didn't take that penalty. Just you know, supposedly just didn't feel like it, and you think you're not feeling like it because you're being booed in your own stadium. Uh, a brilliant free kick. I, 
this is a slightly against, it's just a bit of a sad situation for everyone because I understand his position. He's a young footballer who knows he's got a strong market, who knows he's got opportunities waiting for him at other clubs, who knows his his talent. And the fact of the matter is, as I mean, it's an extreme example, but as we saw this summer with, with Harry Kane, if you sign a contract when you don't want to stay somewhere, sometimes you can get made to stay somewhere. Whereas if you let your contract run down, you probably get a better financial deal for yourself and you get to go where you want. I, I can't blame him for that. He's a young person trying to control his own destiny and, and what comes next. And I think what he's trying to show is, as long as I'm here, you're getting 100% of me. I'm going to work my tail off and I'm going to score goals for you and I'm going to be good. But you can't demand my lifelong loyalty. And of course, fans don't want to hear that. Fans want footballers playing for their teams to love the teams that they do and, and to be there forever. But it's just not, it's not the reality. I understand both sides of it because I am a fan and I know how it feels to watch someone who you love playing for your team clearly sort of playing out time. It's it's a horrible feeling, but I, I can't blame him for, for handling himself that way. And I think in the meantime, as, as you said, he's, he's still playing very well and he's still scoring important goals. And Fiorentina are looking the best they've looked for a few seasons, actually. They're looking like they could really compete for Europe. And if they do, he's a part of it. A big part of it. I do worry about how much he contributes to that team because this was really the Vlaovic show in many ways. And I wonder what will happen when he leaves because they're going to need like a really amazing backup or like somebody who can come in and do basically what he's doing. And But I want to move on to Bologna Milan because I, I want your thoughts on this. We've seen... Okay, so... This was the most <laughs> hilarious game. You know, it was 2-0 for Milan, who were the away side. Then an own, ball, an own goal scored by Zlatan Ibrahimovic brought one back for Bologna. Then they scored one quickly after it to equalize when they were down to 10 men. They lost a man on the 20th minute, then went down to nine men, like a few minutes after scoring the second goal. And Milan really didn't get anywhere and didn't get their third goal till, what, six minutes from time? Um, obviously, my boy Calabria coming through for them and then Zlatan scoring the fourth. Now, Mihalovic said this was a great Bologna and there was an every opportunity for them to at least get a point from this. I don't know whether he's exaggerating. But putting that aside, we saw Milan wobble against Elas Verona and play a terrible first half. They were simply awful against Porto in the Champions League. Absolutely awful, although there is controversy surrounding the goal. But whatever, that doesn't take away from their performance. And once again, you saw them not being brilliant in this one. So what do you feel? Is this sort of them starting to once again have a great start to the season and then something happens and you wonder what there's going on with their performances and then this is when they start losing? Or do you feel like this is still a team that you believe in? I think I still believe in them. The Porto game was was bad. Uh, I, I think losing a few important players doesn't help. When you lose Mike Magnan, obviously, I think that's, that's a real blow, losing him in goal. I think it's not to be underestimated, actually. I think he's been such a sort of impressive, steady replacement for uh, a, an important player in, in, in January de Donnarumma. And I think when he's not there, that, that hurts. They've had to deal with the bout of COVID. Um, I, I wonder... 
I actually wonder how the introduction of Zlatan impacts his team now. Obviously, he scores a goal at the end here and, and he's Zlatan and you don't want to to underestimate his his uh, what he can offer the team still because he clearly still has things to offer. But the team has played in such a particular way without him. There's such a sort of fast, um, direct team relying on these young players like Leao and, and Brian Diaz. And I don't want that to change because you suddenly put a 40-year-old, even though he's a brilliant 40-year-old up front. But... Look, in the end, this was a really good weekend for them, actually. They've gone a level with Napoli at the top. Both Inter and Juventus yeah. obviously dropped points. Roma and Napoli dropped points. I think going out of the Champions League, as sad as it is, uh, disappointing because their first two games of the Champions League were great, I thought. Porto was awful. Could end up in the long run playing out well for them. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely still a team to believe in because of Stefano Pioli. Um, I do, I am really happy for Ben Esser because I feel like he wasn't that great against El Verona, but I thought that he was, I, he didn't start off wonderfully in this match, but then you saw the beauty of his play. Isandro Tonali, though, is just, wow, what a step up from last season. And I'm, I'm, I'm always going to talk about it, but Calabria is just so smart. The way just he moves and floats around the pitch, he just it's exactly great. understands. And Balotouré, like what a step up, right? It's amazing what Pioli is doing with these players. It's like every year there's one that just gets better and better. But let's do some snap reactions because I feel like, you know, we, we, we've spent so much time and there are some other interesting games. I know that you watched Atalanta Udinese as well. Yeah, another manager sent off. Four managers sent off this weekend. Four managers sent off, which is incredible. Again, if I'm being honest, another team that's that's been hit hard um, by injuries, the Manchester United game, I, I really can't be too critical of it because you're missing a Jim City, you're missing uh, uh, Toloi, was it? You're missing Robin Gosens, you're missing Hatterberg, you're missing four out of five members of your, of your back five if you choose to consider the wing backs as part of a, a five rather than a three. Your defence is not going to be as solid as it should be. Um they conceded three goals and that's why they didn't win the game. As far as I'm concerned, that's that's kind of the story on that one. Uh, disappointing to throw away the points in this game against Udinese, given it was 1-0 until basically injury time. But I didn't think they played very well. I think part of that, as I say, is down to injury. But uh, time will tell if it's something bigger than that. Il tiro troppo alto sulla traversa, attenzione di Sengueamo in questa incursione di Pobega all'interno dell'area di rigore, Pobega! Il raddoppio del Toro al 31esimo, ha colpito ancora una volta la formazione di Juric, grande inserimento di Pobega che in questo primo tempo sta veramente spaccando in due la retroguardia del Genoa con i suoi inserimenti dalla linea mediana e il Toro va a raddoppiare Torino I love I love every Ivan Juric team and I just can't believe they got you know Pratt and Pelotti back and they already look like a, such a wonderful side to watch um only thing that irritates me about them is please can you just stay awake at the back because they have just this disastrous ability to just start losing players all over the pitch and when they are focused and concentrated throughout they play such good football and they did such a good job um, against the big teams like Juve and Napoli and trying to remain defensively focused but sometimes in this match it's almost like they didn't take Genoa seriously and Genoa were absolutely awful but they had the opportunity to make it 3-3 had Ravella's free kick actually gone through which was fantastic by the way so it's amazing that Ballardini's Genoa who've been so poor and honestly had even started the game or even wanted to be there had the opportunity to actually get a point against this team so defensively my man Yorich you have a lot of work to do back to you Nikki any other games oh there's some fun stuff at the end of Salernitana against Empoli where 
Pinamonti did a little cucchiaio and uh, Belich chasing after Pinamonti for that cucchiaio, which was uh, a bit of a sort of soap opera <laughs> Serie A moment, which we, we love a little bit sometimes. Nikki, if we have time, I do want to discuss next week what you think of Lukaku versus Jekyll. So I, I, I had this to discuss this week because of something that Beppe Bergomi had said, which really irritated me because I thought it was disrespectful to Jekyll. But we don't have time for it to go this week. Let's do it. No, next week, definitely. Next week, we'll do it. We're out of time this week, I think. I guess we'll leave it there. That is all we've got time for this uh, week, gang. Thank you so much for downloading and for listening and hanging out with us for this hour or so, whatever it's been. There's a midweek round coming up in Serie So by the time you listen, it could already have started because it goes from Tuesday through to Thursday. There's a few tasty games in there. I think Juventus Sassuolo jumps out, Milan-Torino, and also uh, Lazio against Fiorentina on Wednesday night. But Serie Chronicles will be back on Friday with another Chronicles Q&A mailbag episode. Get your questions into us on Twitter at Serie Pod with the hashtag Chronicles Q&A. Find us both on Twitter, at Nikki Bandini, at Mina Rizuki. Make sure you follow the pod's social media content through the week. Uh, all the links for Serial Chronicles social media will be in the show notes. We love the interaction with you guys, so please do come hang out with us. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or if you get your podcast. I will say, we have been paying attention. There are some amazing reviews for us on on um iTunes right now. So thank you so much. You guys are genuinely awesome and we love you to bits. And consider supporting the show at seriachronicles.com forward slash supporter. And remember for sponsorship opportunities, please email marketing at mediachronicles.com.au. Mina, it's been awesome hanging out with you and let's do it again next week. Can't wait. Berti, di prima su Donadoni che gira in mezzo finta di Viarli, c'è Giannini, tira e gol! Gol di Giannini, grande azione dei nostri e Giannini, vedete, esplode di gioia, Azzurri in vantaggio al primo a fondo con Giannini, tutto molto bello. Splendido il controllo che rivediamo in profondità sulla finta di, Gial, di Viali di Giannini che fa fuori quattro avversari e poi fulmina Meola in uscita. 1-0 per l'Italia, undicesimo del primo tempo. Sports Social Podcast Network.